hello again, everyone. This is Michael Taylor with uh, JD Power, and welcome to the JD Power Travel Podcast. And as always, I'm joined by Andrea Stokes, who's our practice lead for hospitality. Hello, Andrea. Hello. And Jenny Corwin, who is the director of our Consumer Insights. Hello, Jenny. Hello. All right. Well, anyway, we've got a, quite a few topics. Things, a lot of things are happening in the in the travel industry, and I thought we'd first start with. Something that uh, we had mentioned on a podcast many, many months ago, back when this pandemic thing first got started, and that's the cruise industry. So, Jenny, you, you've got some interesting happenings in the cruise industry. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we saw just, just today some new guidance coming from the CDC. We're looking to get into the second phase of their return to, to cruising plan, and um, people are predicting we may see cruising coming back mid-July. Now, cruising has been back from other destinations, but these are, you know, cruises departing from the U.S., so um, based on our CDC guidance. And um, I, I think it's interesting just to, because the cruise industry itself is is never going to be inherently risk-free with all of those people in close quarters. So there's they're going to struggle a little bit reputation wise, I think for a little bit, but I know there are a lot of people who are very eager to get back to cruising and the industry is very eager to get back to work. So I think this is some, some exciting news that at least there's, there's some movement on the horizon. Yeah. What I recalled from our pulse surveys we did uh, seemingly three years ago, I know it was probably nine months or so ago that uh, when we asked people what they were most likely to do next as far as travel, I think cruising came in dead last, didn't it? Yeah, I think it was pretty pretty low on the list. And a lot of that just has to do with the, you know, the inherent risk and the difficulty of um, you know, controlling that environment. But but there's a plan now. So <laughs> well that's good. You know, um, I do remember that, you know, the part of the problem was you're you're kind of stuck with these folks. And if you're going to be quarantined, it's going to be like the old time, you know, quarantines from many hundreds of years ago, where you're going to be stuck on that ship in close quarters. And there were a lot of horror stories about, you know, how difficult the conditions became after people were sitting in port for two or three weeks. But uh, it's good. It's good news. Um, I think the cruise industry has got a lot to offer. So I'm glad to hear it. So, and Andrea, you were uh, talking to us about uh, vaccinations uh, earlier before this podcast about vaccination drives at, at various resorts and how that's working and how they're uh, planning to use um, you know, vaccination drives at resorts. Yes, I think um, there's a lot of buzz uh, going around about, um, you know, hotels and resorts and other travel companies actually uh, trying to vaccinate their employees um, and making sure their employees are vaccinated before they uh, get rehired or come back to work. Um, it is looking like in, these employers do, um, you know, have a right to to ask this and and sort of make it conditional on employment. Um, and so hopefully, you know, hotel. Um, Hotel employees who are trying to get back to work or being rehired will get vaccinated. Um, very important. Um, but, it, you know, some resorts are actually going so far as to actually have vaccination drives at the hotel 
especially large resorts where, um, you know, it's, it could be a, a large beach resort, full service resort, many, many guests, um, win resorts in Las Vegas, especially, um, is an example where they are, um, holding drives to get, you know, employees vaccinated very quickly. Uh, there was another, I saw another story about a hotel in the Caribbean, a resort there that are, that will do the same, um, and have, uh, vaccination drives at, at the actual resort for employees to get vaccinated as quickly as possible. Do you see that these resorts using that as in advertising say, Hey, we're, we're all vaccinated. Do you think that will happen? Yeah. So, so I, I think it will. Um, my prediction is, um, you know, I don't know if all resorts might do this, but in very competitive, you know, locations such as um, the Caribbean or Mexico, Las Vegas, right? You know, very leisure focused destinations that are trying to get guests back in the hotels. Um, you know, they're going to want to get those guests back in any way possible and through messaging, right? That, that of course will, will resonate. Um, and so I do foresee that some, some resorts may, you know, use this in their marketing messages, the fact that all of their employees uh, we're vaccinated. Um, and, uh, they, you know, they can, you know, get, get guests to kind of see those messages and understand that they are taking safety very seriously, both the safety of the guests, but of course the safety of their employees as well. So do you see that as a persuasive message? Do you think it's going to be very effective to advertise? I think for some consumers it will be, especially, uh, when we're talking about international travel, you know, places like Mexico and the Caribbean, um, you know, these resorts are very large resorts. They hold a lot of guests. Um, some of them are all-inclusive resorts where guests will stay um, for more than just a few nights. So I do think, uh, you know, I do think it's a message that in order to compete, right, for that that demand as it comes back, hotels, um Hotels will do this, and, and for consumers, it will resonate for sure. Hmm. Well, that's interesting to me. I'd, I'd, I would like to see what format the ad would take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what, what would you actually say, and what would the visual be? So, mm-hmm. I'm just curious about that. All right. So, uh, the next topic that we we had decided on speaking about was something I'm getting an awful lot of uh, inquiry from the press lately, which is the Rental car shortage, uh, or rental car Armageddon, as some of uh, some of the media put it to me, um, and I'm sure that probably everybody who listens to this podcast knows what the uh, what the issue is, which is extraordinarily high prices in certain markets across the United States for rental cars. You know, the stories I've heard are like twelve hundred dollars a week for a very small car in Hawaii, uh, or three hundred dollars a day for a Kia in Orlando, and I have no doubt that those are actually happening. Um, and really what, what the, the issue here has been is just simple economics and survival of the rental car agencies, which got hit very hard, um, obviously, uh, as hard as any of the airlines or the, any of the resorts we've just been talking about. Uh, and the way the business is structured, you know, you, in order to rent, have a rental car day, you know, the organization has to invest thirty five dollars to $45,000 just to get that car you know, they, they have to lease it, they have to buy it, they have to service it, they have to insure it. 
Um, there's an awful lot of expense that goes with each individual rental car day. So uh, obviously they had a lot of high, very high asset costs um, in, an, in this industry. So they decided to divest themselves of several hundred thousand vehicles um, during the pandemic just to save on cash. And now we've had this influx of leisure travelers in certain markets wanting to rent cars. And normally, as I've been telling everyone in the, that's inquired about it from the media, normally this would be a fairly easy thing for them to forecast. In fact, they've, they've done a great job. The rental car industry has a great job forecasting exactly how many cars they would need and where they would need them. But we haven't had a pandemic like this since before the rental car industry was invented. So there's been really no history as to what happens once a vaccine is developed and what's the demand curve going up. Uh, so they they erred on the side of conserving cash, which is probably the you know the wisest choice they could make, despite the fact that they're getting a little bit of bad press right now. The second fact, the second biggest factor, however, is the planning cycle for leisure trips is shortened dramatically. From a couple months, if you were planning to go with or- to Orlando with your family, you plan something like that for literally months in advance. And uh, you'd make the you'd book the tickets and then look at rental cars 60, 90 days out from your trip. And now that that planning period has slipped to a couple of weeks, two to three weeks. And that's wreaking havoc with the rental car agencies who normally would have to shift inventory around from various locations to meet the demand. And then a third factor is they have to have someone drive those cars, uh, which is uh, one of the things that I know the automotive side gets uh, a lot of inquiry about is self-driving vehicles and what's the future look like there. And a self-driving vehicle would be a boon to the rental car agencies because when they have to redistribute uh, inventory, you know, they have to pay someone to, to actually drive the vehicle. And depending on how far away the lots are, it's either a few minutes or it's a few hours. Uh, so uh, it, it would be fantastic if you just, you know, program the, the, that, that Hyundai Kia or that Kia, you know, to go to the Orlando airport from the Sarasota uh, lot where it happened to be, and you wouldn't have to pay anybody. It'd be nice if it could just drive itself. So anyway, those those three factors have led to this kind of acute shortage, at least in seemingly as far as we can see uh, from the J.D. Power side of things in just certain markets, uh, but they're very high profile markets. Um, but as I've said to the media this past week, this is a good problem to have. If you're the industry, it's not so great if you're the person paying $300 for a Kia in Orlando, you know, to get around to the theme parks with your family. Uh, But however, this is a really good indication. I think that the demand for travel is rebounding quicker than a lot of people in the industry thought would happen. So Mike, I think, is, are, yeah, the, are the rental car companies adding cars? I mean, can they add new cars? Quickly? Yeah, they play that kind of close to the vest, Andrea. Mm-hmm. Uh, about what they what they're actually doing, uh, you know, part of it has to do again. One of the other factors is this chip shortage of new cars, and but one always thinks, at least the industry is kind of trained to think that the, you know, the rental car industry, the rental car providers, they go buy a new car from the original equipment manufacturers, they um, you know rent it out for uh, six months, nine months, or to a year, year and a half, depending on the demand for that particular type of vehicle. Then they sell it on the used car market. So, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the, they have to continue to buy a brand new vehicle. They can go back into the used car market. 
And uh, one of my neighbor happens to be an investment manager, and he was telling me yesterday about Penske, uh, which is uh, operates a great number of uh, car dealerships across the United States, and their earnings have gone crazy upwards because uh, the demand for rental cars and the price of rental cars is increasing. Uh, excuse me, for used cars is increasing, uh, which is something quite the opposite of what everybody thought was going to happen, and that including me. <laughs> thought there would be a glut of used cars and that would drive the price of used cars down and exactly the opposite is happening. So, and that might be an indication that the rental car agencies are going back into the used car market and grabbing those cars to just to fill the inventory needs that they have currently. Any other reaction to that, Jenny, Andrea? No, I think um, I think it's important that they keep their eye on um, the the markets that have the strongest demand. Right. Um, the, you know the big leisure markets, places like Orlando, Las Vegas, um, other places like that, um, where um, you know the demand, especially going into summer, will be there. Yeah, and I do know that from past experience of speaking with the rental car agencies that they do look at it very much on a market-to-market basis. So, yeah, they're very aware of, of what's going on in each of those individual markets. And our last uh, topic for today's podcast uh, was something also that I get some media interest in, which uh, you know really is a lot of altercations happening at airports. I mean, physical altercations among passengers. And um, if, you know, I, you know, if you go on YouTube or you've seen these little pop-up um, clickbait ads, uh, you can find quite a few of these people whipping out their cell phones and, um, you know, filming or recording people having fistfights at the airports. And it's becoming a little bit more common. And uh, it's, if you, I think we've mentioned this on previous podcasts, there's this, we're really into this heavy friction period. Uh, among travelers, especially those folks among the groups right now where, you know, there are uh, laws are changing, uh, you know, mask enforcement policies are changing by states. And uh, there are certain people think that uh, someone should be wearing a mask or there are other people think I don't have to wear a mask. You can't make me. And this is creating quite a bit of friction at the airport since resulted in actual physical altercations. So uh, I don't know, Andrea or or Jenny, if you had any viewpoints on that particular occurrence. I, I think when you think about this across the entire travel and hospitality spectrum, there's there's going to be some challenges in terms of ensuring customer satisfaction. Um, you, you can do everything you can with your staff, with your policies and your training, but it's really difficult to account for those interactions with other travelers. Um, I think we talked about this previously, Mike, but having a policy that's clear and available and followed um, is one way to help. But um, it, it's going to be a fine line and it's going to be tough for a while. I think people are tired, right? And um, they may not be as patient as they normally would with others. And so it is going to, it's a time of high tension and it's, it's going to be tough to plan for how to uh to deal with some of those those interactions between customers that may affect their overall experience. And, and you don't want that to hurt your brand, of course. Right. Andrea, do you see anything like that happening in hospitality? Well, it's, you know, it's definitely um, changing, uh, you know, day by day as, and I think as more people in the U S are vaccinated, 
you'll you'll start to have this um, question about you know well I'm vaccinated so I I can go back to normal and but you still have a lot of people that aren't and it's you know it's vaccination is about keeping um, others safe <laughs> and so I think uh, I think you mentioned tension I think it's it's just going to build. And it's also just the fact that, you know, there's going to be so much demand. There's so many predictions about really, really a a huge rush of demand, uh, especially this summer where, um, you know, you'll have sold out hotels, you'll have rental cars uh, not available. Right. And some guests will, you know, you know, some guests might get um, you know, bumped from their reservation or a air passenger gets bumped from a flight because it's oversold. So it will be interesting to see um, how this plays out um, over, you know, over the next few months because of all this pent up demand. And um, we've never really kind of faced this, uh, this type of, you know, predicted rush of demand before. Yeah, and it's just a little bit of a preview. You know, we're going to be talking about our airline release, uh, study release, which releases May 12th, actually, and some of the preliminary data that, that Jenny, you and I have been privy to, um, shows that the there's a real big emphasis on the staff of the airline and how they're handling these situations. And I believe that on a previous podcast, we referenced um, some of the bad press that the airlines uh, were getting because they were strictly enforcing these mask policies that they had and were banning people from traveling on their airline for either a certain amount of time or indefinitely in some cases. And uh, the, I think their advice back then was the same as it is now from J.D. Power, which is you've got to have a policy and you've got to stick to it. You may end up you know, losing a customer or getting someone very irate, but you've got another 178 people on the aircraft who are probably, you know, saying, okay, that that's a good thing that you're enforcing this policy. And you, if you know the rules beforehand and you've done a good job communicating and, and the airlines have, um, that the enforcement is just going to be a short-term problem and it's gonna, probably going to f- negatively affect only a few people who just don't want to comply with the policy. Isn't going to make you. You're not going to win a popularity contest per se, um, but you are going to be at least seen as being very consistent in the way you handle that passenger, and that in turn will lead to higher satisfaction in later time frame time frames. Well, I think we've reached the end of our this particular podcast, and I want to thank again Andrea Stokes and Jenny Corwin, uh, as always. And uh, if you'd like to have more information about JD Power and our studies. You can go to jdpower.com and then slash business. You'll actually see a little uh, button there in the upper right-hand corner. Click on that and you'll look in, into travel and you'll see all the different studies that we're doing and some of the press releases we, we have going on. And I want to thank everybody for uh, listening and we hope to see you, or at least we hope that you hear us again next month. Thank you.